This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 314, and we are recording on January 18th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And Amanda, I already have a take back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we talked on our like year and year in preview show about I was going to steal the like easy and hard stacks from Tuki in the sentence. Yeah. But actually, I figured out it's not easy and hard. It's quick and slow for me. Ooh. Like, because some books are hard, mm-hmm. but I read them really fast. Mm-hmm. And some books are, like, theoretically easy, but I read them really slow. And vice versa. Like, it's not consistent for me. So I was like, oh, okay. So that I just, I, I you know, it's sort of a take back. I think same. I think same. Right? I've been, Like, I've been reading Ron Chernow's biography of Ulysses S. Grant for mm. legitimately, like, a year. Like, right. since the day after the Biden inauguration is when I picked right. that up. Because they have a lot of similarities, in my opinion. Mm. And I just, you know, pick it up, put it down. Pick it up, put right. it down. <laughs> Right. But it's a, it's a long. That's definitely a long. Yeah, but it's not hard, right? Like, it's not. No, it's not. No. None of yeah. it. I mean, that's why everybody loves him as a historian, right? Because it's all right. very accessible and easy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, oh, these are these are different stacks for me. So mm. that's my update. How about you? <laughs> Any take backs? <laughs> not so far. <laughs> I also don't Fair. remember what I said. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, that'll do it. That'll Which do it. Is... <laughs> Pretty much on brand for me. So, mm, yeah, mm-hmm, I don't remember mm-hmm. what I said. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, welcome to the show where sometimes we remember the things we say and sometimes we don't. This is, as we said at the top, a show for personalized reading recommendations, which means you can write in and we might answer your question on air. It can be a question for you. Maybe there's a certain type of book you love you're having trouble finding more of. It can be for a friend or a family member or a relative. It can be for your book club. It can really be for whatever, special occasions, holidays, travel. You get the idea. You can send those in either via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form that's on the Book Riot site for the show notes for this episode. And if you have a time-sensitive question you're hoping to hear back by a particular date, you should put time-sensitive and then the date either in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form. And speaking of getting questions answered, we're trying. We're going to try a thing. It's fancy. We are. Mm-hmm. So up until right now, only insiders or Book Riot insiders, subscribers, have been able to get their questions fast-tracked and, like, guaranteed an answer on the show. We, since we have, like, multiple years' worth of questions, you know, your odds are okay, but not amazing. <laughs> and so to, I'm going to be honest here. So we're going to try an experiment where if you would like to guarantee that your question's going to get answered and quickly, you can go to bookriot.com slash fast track. It's 10 bucks. 
And when you complete your purchase, you'll be redirected to a form that will uh, collect your question and all of your details. And then you'll hear your question on the show. We're Mm -hmm. doing a limited number of these. Mm -hmm. And we don't know if it's going to work or not or if it's a good idea. We're just going to find out. So, again, bookriot.com slash fast track. Yeah, we're trying to find a balance between not only having agendas for the show that are like just time sensitive questions. Yeah. Because that doesn't seem fair to people who just like have a noodle. Like I would just Mm -hmm. like to, you know what I mean? But if you do have a question where like your dad's birthday is in 10 days and you need a recommendation right right now, we do want to also not ignore those people. So this is Mm -hmm. kind of how we figured how to thread the needle uh, and also make it worth our time and make it worth everybody's time. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, uh, you can do that Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you so desire. Uh, Let's see. We have some feedback from listeners for requesters. Amanda says, for Jessica's request for a feel-good Christmas book that's not too romancy, I suggest The Secret of Snow by Viola Shipman. It's an older protagonist, a strong sense of place, Traverse City, Michigan, which I know and love, and a good storyline. And then for Quinn's request for her roommate who likes memoirs and contemporary fiction, I suggest Who is Maud Dixon by Alexandra Andrews. It's fiction but has memoir vibes as the story unfolds. And then from Elizabeth, for the listener looking for a book for their roommate who likes contemporary uh, fiction and memoir, Real Life by Brandon Taylor is a work of contemporary fiction that reads almost like memoir because of how closely Taylor inhabits the protagonist's minds and neuroses. LOL. Mm. And also plugging The Incredible In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. It's memoir, not fiction, but has exquisite writing and a brilliant, innovative structure. Good recommendations, y'all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Amanda, will you read our first question? Sure. <laughs> I will because that is my job. All right. Our first question is from Lindsay, who says, This is a birthday gift recommendation request for my husband. He does occasionally enjoy reading, but has a very hard time keeping his focus, and most books can't keep his attention long enough for him to finish. The last time I remember him truly loving and finishing a book was when he read the Kingsbridge series by Ken Follett, especially the second one, World Without End. He seems to enjoy historical fiction more than other genres with a great plot and compelling characters. I've tried giving him A Gentleman in Moscow, but he thought the writing was too flowery. I also had him try Wolf Hall, but he thought the writing was confusing and it could not hold his attention. If anyone can find the perfect book for him, I know you can. Please help. All right, let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. There is evil lurking in the forest that surround St. Virgil. Now to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Okay, Jen, what you got? All right. So, yeah, this is an interesting needle to try to thread. I am giving you Conjure Women by Afia Atakora. I will say that this book has, like, just the slightest touch of surrealism to it, but it is historical fiction. It takes place in three different timelines. Okay, so one of the reasons I picked this was because I was trying to think about, like, okay, books that, like, hold your attention, that are historical fiction, that don't have, quote-unquote, flowery writing, which, like, fair, fair, Mm -hmm. or are as confusing as Wolf Hall, which, let's be real, super confusing. I love it, but it's confusing. Everybody's name is Thomas. So I think Adekora did a bunch of interesting things with this book, including having three different timelines that sort of jump around between and it definitely kept me focused like I was very much like okay how is this going to fit together like I was very engaged and compelled by the structure of this book it's not like straight up linear but it is I think attention grabbing and the writing is amazing it is also very like a little bit like patois dialect Uh, so this takes place in the south it takes place in as I said three different timelines Immediately, like, before the Civil War, during the Civil War, and then after the Civil War, all in one location. It takes place on a plantation. And you are mostly in the head of Rue, who is the daughter of one of the enslaved women who is sort of like the healer slash, you know, she's the closest thing they have to a doctor. She knows, you know, about herbs and she's pretty, you know, competent and solid. And the owner of the plantation grants her some special privileges because, you know, she helps keep people healthy. Um, He's also obviously a terrible human. And so that. And so Rue is like growing up in her mother's very large shadow, trying to learn all of these things, trying to live up to, you know, her mother's expectations, trying to stay safe. You know, she's a young black girl in the South on a plantation, enslaved. Mm. It's Oh, this book comes, oh, by the way, side note, so many content warnings, Um, slavery and related violence, all of the violences. There's also complications in pregnancy and rape. So like it's it's rough. But so anyway, so you're mostly in Rue's head and you're following her, as I said, immediately before the Civil War, during and then after. And her whole goal in life is to keep the people around her safe. And she takes on so much responsibility, not just for like the fellow enslaved population, but also Verena, who is her age. She's also she's the owner of the plantation's daughter. And she has had a complicated life as well. 
And their relationship is super complicated because in some ways they're friends, but in other ways they can never be friends because of the power dynamics involved. And it's just so good. It is really sticky is the word I want to say. Like when you read it, you're like, oh, I just feel like I'm like getting stuck on every page by like how intensely I feel about these characters, by how well the time period is depicted. And I just thought it was, I mean, it was amazing. I read it because Sharifa, who's my co-host on SFF, yeah, was like, would not shut up about it at one point. And she was right. It's great. Um, And I think for somebody who loves historical fiction and like isn't afraid to like, you know, go into the heavy places, it's really, it, I think it's a standout. So again, that's Conjure Women by Afia Adekora. Okay, um, so for somebody who occasionally likes reading but doesn't, like has a hard time focusing, you know, I, I usually pick short books. But if your husband really likes the Kingsbridge series, those books right. are like 1,200 pages. <laughs> so <laughs> Not I short. Like, right, not short, not short. But they're also like epic and there's a lot going on. There's a ton of different characters. So I went with that kind of vibe and I picked The Luminaries by Eleanor Catton, which takes place in 1866 in New Zealand. And it opens with one young man named Walter who has come to New Zealand ostensibly to like work in the gold mines and strike up big and all of that. And he goes to a hotel after he gets off of his ship. He goes to a hotel to check in, walks into the lounge or whatever, and there finds 12 men of varying ages, races, backgrounds, class, whatever, sitting around, like, playing pool, talking. And then as soon as he enters, the room goes totally quiet. So, like, it's obvious that all of these men, many of whom have, like, no business talking to each other in 1866 in New Zealand in, like, the middle of nowhere, it's obvious that they are all involved in something together. And then you spend the next 800 pages figuring out what that is. And there is a, at the heart of the book, a murder mystery that involves a really like a poor gold miner who lived again in the middle of nowhere in like a shack and he dies mysteriously it's assumed that he like kind of drank himself to death or something like that but then a bunch of gold is found in his house and like who does it belong to where did it come from what actually happened to this man and of course our narrator walter turns out to have his own secrets so it's not like a multi-generational epic in the same way that the kingsbridge series is you're not following you know families over hundreds of years as they build a cathedral um you are following 13 strangers quote unquote that obviously have a secret as they try to figure out this one mystery and it is set against the against the backdrop of like colonization and nation building, which is not the same thing as cathedral building, but kind of actually is. So it's got a lot of similarities in tone and like scope. So that's The Luminaries by Eleanor Catton. Yeah, that book is intense. Mm. All right. Our next question is from Anna, who says, I'm seeking a request for my boyfriend. I read all the time and have been trying to find books for him as well. He randomly really loved the book Frankenstein in college, LMAO, but that was also required reading for a science class. He thinks he would like a quote unquote war book. We also love murder mysteries on TV. I'm reading the Maisie Dobbs series right now, and I believe he would enjoy it, too, if it was from a male detective perspective. His favorite sport is baseball, too, if that helps. Also, a book 400 pages or less would be good since he's not read in a while. Thanks in advance. Amanda, do you want to you have a note about this question? <laughs> yeah. Don't date men who won't read books that have women in them. Just look. you seem kind of young and I don't this is none of my business, but I could not help it. <laughs> like, it's just such a red flag. I, I, we have book recommendations for you. Go with God, but also please break up with this person. 
That's my that's the thing I wanted to say. Well, I mean, only if he actually it's just it could be, you know, I like I don't want to like I we don't know. We don't, we don't know. know. We don't. Know. And like maybe that's just Anna's impression. It mm-hmm. could be that he has not stated a preference mm-hmm. for. But anyway, it is it is a thing to keep an eye out for. Yeah. No red doubt. flag. It's just a red flag. That's all I'm saying. Mm. It's a red flag. Mm. <laughs> uh, OK, I'm going to give my pick. I picked Winter Counts by David Hesco Wombly Wyden. You asked for a war book, sort of. But I was like, let me go down the crime route because because I felt like it. Uh, let's be honest. <laughs> and Winter Counts is great. And I think it is like it's actiony. It's really sort of what's the word I want? Like gritty and down to earth. Like it's very earthy. Like it feels very like because the characters are not fancy people, right? Like this is this book takes place on the Rosebud Indian Reservation in South Dakota. And the main character Virgil is like a hired sort of guy who beats up people like he because there is so little effective law enforcement on the reservation people hire him to get like you know folk justice when you know they're they've been done wrong a family member has been done wrong by somebody and they want somebody to do something about it so like it's like a very like gray morally gray area and he doesn't ask a lot of questions so it's not necessarily like he only takes the jobs that he feels are like justifiable it's like no he like takes money and beats people up and that's his job but things get very complicated for him when he takes a job that then leads him into this whole, like, weird situation around drugs being brought onto the reservation. His nephew gets involved. It gets very personal. He ends up working with his ex-girlfriend, who, like, is definitely the one who got away for him. She has, like, big dreams of doing better and, like, making the reservation a better place for everybody to live. And he's just, and she's, like, connected to her heritage. And he's just sort of, like, I don't know. I'm just out here trying to make a buck. Like, that's not what he's up for. But he really, it's its such a journey. And it's like, it's a really fascinating sort of slice of life and a really fast paced story. And the characters, like I said, are great. They're really earthy and gritty. And like, you get into their heads in this really satisfying way. And I just think it was, I don't know, I think he might like it. So again, that's Winter Counts by David Heska Wombly Wyden. All right. I picked Shepherd by Katherine Jinks, which has a trigger warning for bad things happening to animals, which I know is like a big thing for a lot of people, myself included. I was surprised. <laughs> it's not come on me, but I kept going. So I picked this one because you said that he really liked Frankenstein and Frankenstein is like pretty dark. It's a little not gory, but it's like there's a lot of physical yucky stuff in mm. Frankenstein. So I went with something that was kind of similar to that. It takes place in, I don't know why I'm so focused on like Australia and New Zealand today, but I am. It takes place in Australia and it's about a kid named Tom who is 12 and he lives in the UK. He's caught poaching and is sentenced to be transported to Australia to like work on a ranch, which he does. And he lives on this ranch by himself with a, not by himself, but like with a couple, there are no other kids. It's him and a couple of like grown men who have also been transported to Australia to work on this ranch. When the book opens, it's him and like one other guy. There was a third guy, but he was a bit of a sociopath. And so Tom and his other rancher friend like conspired to have him sent to, to like send him out into the wilderness to die, which they did. They have not seen him since, except he did not die. And now he is like back for vengeance. And Tom goes on the run for his life in the Australian outback. And the whole book is like this cat and mouse game between this kid and this grown 
adult like serial killer and it's you know there's no technology it's the 1800s um and this kid is like when you meet him you're like this is big tom sawyer energy you know like he's scrappy and knows the the landscape pretty well and um and all of that but that's kind of where the similarities end like this tom is not oh what's what's the word like you're lovable (laughs) he's Mm. not like a lovable Mm. character you know he's not like oh gosh golly that's not what's happening like he's smart and he is not afraid to be violent and i think that if somebody really likes war like war books and also murder mysteries i think the the venn diagram like overlapping section there is like competence and violence and that's what (laughs) this entire book is is like two really competent people trying to kill each other but the 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 only difference is one of them is 12 and like that doesn't make as much of a difference as you would expect. <laughs> so that's Shepherd by Catherine Jinks. All right, question three is from Caroline, who says, Hello, I loved Once There Were Wolves, Migrations, The Great Alone, Where the Crawdads Sing, and All the Light We Cannot See. I really like the vivid descriptions of nature, as well as the scientific facts about nature and ecosystem services that were included in the stories. Do you have fiction suggestions for anything similar? All right, Jen, what you got? All right, so my pick for you is a little less on the science-y side, but very much on the nature-y side. It's also pretty intense. Uh, it's Once Upon a River by Bonnie Jo Campbell, and it has content warnings for rape, addiction, and then other assorted violences against women and children. It takes place largely on a river, as you might guess from the title, uh, the Stark River in, ooh, I want to say, yeah, it's Michigan. And Margot, the main character, has lived sort of like a, you know, lower class, like hard scrabble life. Her family is very big and like very sprawling and also like not super great. There's a pretty awful incident that happens at the start of the book. And that sends Margot onto the river in a boat by herself. She's 16. She's got, like, some supplies. She's got a biography of Annie Oakley that she's obsessed with. And she is ostensibly looking for her vanished mother. Her mother disappeared. But she's really just, like, trying to get away from a horrible situation. And it's just her journey down this river and, like, who she encounters and her relationship with the river and, like, living off the land to a certain extent, but then also having to deal with, like, people and civilization when you are a 16-year-old who is on your own for reasons that are out of your control. It's really beautifully done. Like I said, it is a hard read, but I think, like, it really digs into that feeling of being... In an environment, which is what it sounds like you're super interested in. Again, I it doesn't have necessarily as much of the science part as some of the other picks, but I still think it has the vibe that you're looking for. So again, that's Once Upon a River by Bonnie Jo Campbell. I picked Maud's Line by Margaret Verbal, which has trigger warnings for suicide and harm to animals, which I don't remember, but Jen added and I trust her. It's, so. it's a really, it starts as right at the start of the book. There's a pretty rough scene. Just, oh, just FYI. I think I remember that. Yeah, I remember being like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess this is oh, that's fine. Um, so this takes place in eastern Oklahoma in the 20s. And Maud is the main character. She's 18 and she lives with her dad and her brother on some allotments that the government has given out to members of the Cherokee tribe when their land was taken when Oklahoma became a state. So that's where she lives. And like, you know, all of her family, her extended family live on various allotments around her. And the the kind of 
message that she's received her whole life is like, whatever you do, don't give up your allotment because that's the only thing that we have left to us. And it seems kind of like a book where not a lot happens. Like it's Maud dealing with mm. her dad and then Maud dealing with her brother and then Maud dealing with like the new stranger who comes into town on a bookmobile and how much she really likes him and like trying to figure out what she wants to do with herself, which is not a ton of options because she's 18 and Cherokee and it's Oklahoma in 1928, you know. But the descriptions of this, the thing that I came away from this book remembering mostly was snakes. Like there's so mm. much discussion of and description of Oklahoma, where I've never been and have like no mental model for what that ecosystem is like at all. But I left this book with such a mental model of what it's like, like that scrubby and dry and snakes everywhere and like the kind of trees that are there and like the dust on your skin and just the the, the way it feels to live in that landscape, especially in a time when there's no like air conditioning or heat or like windows made of glass if you're poor or any kind of the stuff that we're used to living in. And now even in ecosystems that can be kind of harsh, but like they're so, Maud is so indifferent to, but hyper aware of the ecosystem at all times. Like mm. she knows when storms are coming in. She knows what parts of the paths are probably going to have snakes on them or not. She knows how to walk her horse around those areas and like what the different plants growing in different areas mean for whether or not there's water there. Like she just knows in the way that a person who has grown up in a rural area with no modern services would know that sort of stuff. So the, it's really woven in and definitely like a second character as you're there with Maud while she's making these choices about her life. So that's Maud's Line by Margaret Verbal. I love that book also. It's mm. really, it's really good. All right. My, our next question is from Nicole, who says, I have had a rocky relationship with my father for most of my life and just recently decided to cut off contact completely. I'm looking for books that would give me some insight into maintaining my boundaries while also keeping connected with my mom and brother. All the books I found on Estrangement are about the parents' side of things and not the kids. I prefer nonfiction, but I would happily read a fiction book that showed an estranged relationship on the page in a relatively healthy way. Okay, so Nicole, I like sort of didn't pick a book because Amanda <laughs> picked the book that I would have picked and is really, I think, the book. Um, but I do have some like side along fiction recommendations. Do you want to talk about it? We can just co No, no, you okay. go. And then okay. I'll and I'll give my like sideways fiction recs. Okay. So the book that I picked, it's Set Boundaries, Find Peace. It's by Nedra Glover Tawab. It's not like specifically about estrangement with your parents, but it is broadly about how to set boundaries in all of your relationships, which would include estrangement, especially in like a kind of complicated situation when you mm. want to talk to like some members of a household, but not one member of a household, which is what you're dealing with, you know, like talking to your dad, but not like your mom or your brother, especially if your brother still lives there. And like, how do you manage all that kind of stuff? And that, like, it's just set boundaries, find peace. Like, it's a manual to how to do that. It's based in a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy and really recent research about the the effects that healthy boundaries can have on you and, like, how to set them. There's language given for how to set them with people in front of you, how to react when people don't respect them, which, of course, is more about them than it does about you. I mean, it's just, like, boundaries. Not even what. It's, like, boundaries 101 through 303. All yes. All the things that you could need. And even if it isn't specifically addressing your kind of complicated situation, it will give you all of the tools and language that you need to to manage that, I think. So that's Set Boundaries, Find Peace by Nedra Glover Tawab. 
Yeah, 100% what Amanda said. It is all of the tools you need. You'll want to buy a copy so you can refer to it repeatedly. Um, because the thing about boundaries is you have to set them over and over and over again. Like, you mm-hmm. don't get to set them once and then it's done forever. Like, no, you have to, like, keep doing it. And you may find you need to adjust them. And, like, Tawab has so many great tools for doing that. So I, I, you'd mentioned that you'd like, you know, also a fiction with estranged relationships on the page in a healthy way. And two of Alyssa Cole's romances have this. One of them is How to Find a Princess, which is like, I like I feel this as somebody who has codependent tendencies, is about like a codependent woman who is like trying to not be a doormat in her life anymore. And that includes like setting better boundaries with her mother, who she's not like a straight up estranged from, but it's it's hashtag complicated, hmm. as well as the new, very attractive person who comes into her life. And then also a prince on paper does have an estranged father, like a really intense estranged father relationship in it. Uh, So Alyssa Cole has like got you if you are willing to dive into some romance. Also, all of her books are great. I'm trying to be better about disclosures. Alyssa Cole is both a friend and somebody I've worked with professionally, but like her books are amazing. You should read them. The end. Okay, time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critics Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. 
All right. Our next question is from Emily, who says, I'm in the market for what I'd call low-tech sci-fi. I recently read the Under the Never Sky series and love going back to a world of sword fights, battles, horses, and clans. I also love the coming-of-age themes, friendship, love stories, and moving toward one's destiny. This series is YA, but I'm in my 20s, so I don't need YA and would actually prefer recommendations that weren't YA, but (laughs) coming-of-age themes are common in that genre. So I'm okay with it as long as it's high quality. I have a low tolerance for cheesiness and poor writing. Overall, I want to immerse myself in a new world and tag along to great characters on an epic adventure where they achieve their destiny. All right. Would you want to Station Eleven? I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. I know this is a little close to the close because it's about a pandemic and like the TV show is everywhere and everybody's watching it and loving it. And I'm just not ready. I'm not ready to watch Mm. a TV show about a pandemic. I might. I might. I might. I don't know. I'm I'm noodling, you know. But so this is uh, like it goes back and forth in time between um, like it's present day and then the very near future, like 20 years into the future. In present day, a, pand- a very deadly pandemic has swept the world, uh, much more deadly than COVID, like kills 99% of mm-hmm. the people on the planet. And in the present day of the book, which is 20 years into that future, you are with a troupe of traveling Shakespearean actors and musicians. Um, they call themselves the Traveling Symphony. They roam around like what was formerly known as Michigan, essentially, and perform art to people as they find them. And then you're with, like, different characters who you meet when the book opens and, and, like, as they have survived over the years, what they're doing now and the friendships that they formed and all of that. And so the the low-tech sci-fi comes in here because this is post-apocalyptic. And so there is no internet. There is no electricity. Um, there's no... It is very much, like, back to functionally pre-industrial revolution living. We still have, like tools they just as long as they're not powered you're fine but the stuff that's powered is not going to work um and there's a lot of like that's the setup right the setup is like this is post-apocalyptic these people are in survival mode and all of that but what it really is is a book about an appreciation for modern life and all of the care it's very character driven which is not always the case for these kind of Mm. post-apocalyptic books like you're there for the adventure kind of and like the social commentary about how you know x thing that we're doing in 2022 is going to kill us all in the future but this (laughs) one is that's the backdrop but it's really just about these characters like these handful of five i think or so main characters and the way that they grow and change over time there is a coming of age one of the main characters uh, is a child when the pandemic hits and then in the present she's you know in her very early 20s and her coming of age is not the same (laughs) as everybody else's because again you know there's no power or anything but it is you're just like tagging along with the shakespearean troupe as they try to figure out how their skills and their talents and their values fit into a world where like if you don't have any food do you really care about the 12th night and like what does art mean in a, in a place where there's like poverty and struggle and all of those kinds of big questions um, against this backdrop of a, of a pandemic. Oh, I'm making the grimace emoji face. So <laughs> Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mando. I am watching the show right now Ooh. and it is it is intense. It's also really, really good. I'm okay. doing OK. I okay. was not sure how I was going to feel, to be perfectly honest. But I my partner was saying this, too, because it's so much worse mm-hmm. than COVID. Like it it's in a way like sort of reassuring. It's like, OK, well, at least it wasn't that like yeah. it's kind of the feeling that I have when I watch. Which like, let's be real. We were all thinking when COVID first right. started. 100%. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, it's like like 
COVID is plenty bad, but mm-hmm. it's it is in a way helpful to see a depiction of an even worse pandemic. Even though some of the moments, like especially the grocery store scene, are like real close to home. Yeah, that's the scene in the trailer that made me be like, no, yes, I know, I'm I know. It's, and there's like a couple mask scenes where you're just like, ooh, like it's it hits. But uh, like I said, it's a little bit easier because it's so much worse than than what we're living through, which is plenty bad, plenty bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so. <laughs> I also picked a post-apocalyptic story because that's like low-tech sci-fi. Like, that's basically what I think you mean. Um, I could be wrong, but that's mm-hmm. what I got. And I picked The Archivist Wasp Saga by Nicole Corner-Stace, which is a two-book series. It is, I guess, technically YA in that the protagonists are teenage, but I think it's extremely crossover-y. Like, it's very adult reader appropriate. It's great. It's, it's really well done. The main character, Wasp, lives in this post-collapse world uh, in sort of like a deserty sort of place. There's like not a lot of green, like growing vegetables is hard. And she is a ghost hunter. There are ghosts in this world. And she, her job is to like capture them and like reassure the surrounding village folk that like ghosts are not going to attack them. But it's not like a great or even particularly voluntary position. Like she has to kill other young women to maintain her job, which keeps her fed. There's this horrible priest who like presides over all of it and forces these young women to fight each other. It's very rough. And she has tried to run away multiple times. And we meet her when she's like running away yet again. Um, But the thing that's different about this time is that she meets a ghost and ends up going on this really intense journey that is sort of to an underworld, but not exactly. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to give too much away, but what you see over the course of this two book journey is both this world where like, yeah, modern technology no longer exists, but there are remnants of even more advanced technology than what, like, we in the real world have right now. And what, like, what do you think about those things if you have no context for them? Like, what, do you assume they're magic? Like, what do they, how do you work them? Like, can you even get them to work? And then how do you, like, start to unravel, you know, because there's all this lore around why the world the way is the way it is. And then if you start to discover... What actually happened? Like, how do you put all those pieces together when you don't have a lot of context or like people willing to like be straight with you about it? So it's a really interesting puzzle in terms of like, how did the world get this way and how does this world work? And then also it's a great character journey. Oh, my gosh, I'm obsessed with Wasp. She's amazing. And like the way that she interacts with others over the course of these two books, like, oh, you have the first book sort of feels like a standalone, but I really encourage you to read the second one as well, because the payoff is so good. So again, that's the Archivist Wasp Saga by Nicole Corner Stace. The first book is Archivist Wasp. All right. Our next question is from Sonia, who says, I'm looking for a book that I can read together with my mom as a buddy read. We like character-driven contemporary fiction set in New York City, and we would love to read something set in the world of artists, writers, musicians, or painters. Please no fantasy or romance. Amanda, what did you pick? I picked What I Loved by Siri Hustvet, which is a character-driven contemporary fiction set in New York City that's about the world of artists, writers, musicians, and painters. (laughs) So, um... So it's about two dudes, Leo, who's a writer, who's the narrator, and then Bill, who's his friend, he's an artist, and like their lives together in New York. And that's kind of it. Like, because again, it's one of those books where nothing much happens. Um, They grow up, 
they come out of college, they get married, they have kids. The book does focus on their relationships with their wives um, and their children. And then near the end, um, some like kind of very tragic things happen. And Mark, who's one of the children, starts becoming associated with an artist named Teddy Giles, who's like very controversial and dangerous and not great. And so we follow that. But like all, most of the book is about Bill and Leo and their friendship. And then like Bill ruminating about art and the meaning of his work and the meaning of art and then leo writing about art and the meaning of his work and the meaning of art so like it's just a lot of artistic you the world of of art in new york and navel gazing about it which i love like i'm not saying that for shade i'm not shading it i think it's awesome um and it is very character driven again like not much happens it's mostly just about i mean stuff happens like this is a bromance and then also a romance like them and their wives over decades. So of course things happen and bad things happen and then they got to raise kids and like stuff happens with all of that. But like this is not an adventure or anything like that. This is a literary musing on art, its definition, how to make it, why to make it, and then what that means for the rest of your life, like living the rest of your life as an artist. So yeah, so that's What I Loved by Siri Husvet. I also picked a book about a painter set in New York. <laughs> I was like very on top of this question. Yes. <laughs> I picked The Great Man by Kate Christensen, which is about a so this this very like renowned painter, Oscar Feldman, has died. He is the great man. And he is survived by like his wife and his son and his sister, who's also a painter. But also his very long-term mistress and their daughters, which is like not, you know, quote unquote, public knowledge, although obviously people know. And there are two biographers who are like dueling sort of over writing the definitive work about this painter. And they are trying to like interview these women about Oscar. And you get the perspectives of these different women around like what their relationship was like with him. Now, I will say you said no fantasy or romance. I'm not sure if no romance means you don't want to read a book that has sex in it with your mom. This book definitely like has sex in it. Like it's a book about adults. Adults have Mm -hmm. sex. Mm -hmm. That's that's what happens. Like so I don't know if that's a deal breaker for you or not. I'm just saying it out loud. But you get these women who are all like their lives have been sort of overshadowed by Oscar. And this is their chance to tell their story. And like none of them. This is also a thing that Christensen does really well. She's playing with your sympathies and like who's the most reliable and like your opinion on who is the most reliable is going to change as you jump from viewpoint to viewpoint and I think another thing that Christensen does really well is like that you know like quote-unquote unlikable like they're all complicated nuanced people none of them are perfect all of them are like quote-unquote bad as it were in their own ways but they're also like totally understandable like empathizable people so I think she she manages that really well like nobody in this book is perfect all of them have their own POV and like you are sort of along for the ride of how those intersect and what it means for like to be you know part of the art scene and like what people outside of it think what people inside of it think what it's like to be Mm -hmm. an artist what it's like to be in the shadow of an artist all of that stuff so I think it's a juicy read for uh, like a buddy read and also definitely is about what you're asking for. So again, that's The Great Man by Kate Christensen. All right. Our last question is from Glenn, who says, I'm looking for biographies of scientists and academics. I'm also looking for books on Eastern philosophy, ancient and modern, and political science. Okay. (laughs) Straightforward enough. (laughs) Um, I went with the look. 
I rage spiraled about this question, despite its simplicity on the surface, because I went with the biographies of scientists and academics section. And of course, the thing that I immediately do is like, okay, let's find a cool one about a woman. Let me look at my shelves. Let me look at my Goodreads. Mm. Let me look on the internet. There aren't any. And then I just got real mad about the like unrecognized scientific contributions of women throughout history because of our systemic marginalization. And then I just apparently needed to rant about that out loud to all of you. So what I went with was The Fossil Hunter by Shelley Emling, which is so great. So this is about Mary Anning, who you have probably never heard of, see previous rant, who in 1811, when she was 12, found the first dinosaur skeleton. It was an ichthyosaur. She found it in England where she lived. Um, She was the daughter of a carpenter, very poor. And then she also was like, a fossil hunter in her spare time when she was a child. So she found the first dinosaur and then went on to become a paleontologist. And, you know, once the fossils that she was discovering reached the the men who were in charge of academia at the time, that whole world and area of science blew up. It contributed to Darwin's theories. Uh, Dickens himself wrote a little bit about her. Also, the I did not know this, but the she sells seashells by the seashore riddle mm. thing is about her, is about <gasps> Mary Anning. Yeah, the paleontologist. So she did grow up to be a paleontologist and is still, despite the fact that she literally discovered dinosaurs, is still never talked about or recognized in... in I've read a lot of books about dinosaurs. I have 10-year-old boys, so like I've read a lot of books about dinosaurs, <laughs> but I have, had never heard of her until I found this book. Anyway, yeah, she like didn't just find the skeleton and then go on to like do things that quote unquote women did back then. She found the skeleton because this was a thing she was good at and then continued doing it and then continued in her life to become a scientist later. Uh, And we have paleontology now because of her. So that's that. So that's The Fossil Hunter by Shelley Emling. All right. I seized on the modern philosophy aspect of this question, and I assumed, I could be incorrect, but Eastern is a pretty broad Mm. word. Like, that could mean anything. So I just assumed that you meant anything not Western, meaning like the U.S. and Europe. So what I am giving you is from my TBR. It's Everyday Ubuntu by Mungi Ngomane. And this is... Very much a modern philosophy that also, I think, has intersections with political science in a way. The author, Ngomane, as the daughter or granddaughter, excuse me, of Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Mm. And yeah, like so some some credentials. Right. <laughs> uh, and Ubuntu is a South African philosophy that is about like human coexistence, the the basic idea of Ubuntu, as I understand it from my limited knowledge, is like we only exist because other people exist. Like you can't you can't be a human in isolation. You have to be in existence with other people. And it's all about like embracing that reality and then acting out of that. And there are different like, you know, lessons that spiral out of that base belief. And Ngomane has a podcast about this. She's like out there talking about all kinds of different things. So there's lots of, you know, videos and audio if that's like a little bit more your jam or that's you want to do that in conjunction with the book. But I I feel like this is, you know, especially coming from someone with like from a family that is all about social justice and like how do we exist in this world in a way that like gets us 
further along and gives us tools to deal with political injustice. Like this is going to have intersections with very relevant current political questions that we are facing, as well as introduce you to a philosophy that you maybe are not familiar with. Uh, so again, that is Everyday Ubuntu by Mungi Ngomane. And that's our show. We did it. Uh, thanks so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink, for always making us sound better than we actually are. Thanks, you all, for listening. Reminder, we're doing this trial. If you want to fast track your question and you're not a Book Riot Insider, you can go to getbooked.com slash fast track. Limited, limited supply. And for more book recommendations for free, you can check out bookriot.com. You can also find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. You could leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify now uh, if you so desired. Thanks so much to our sponsors for making this show possible. And in between shows, you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.